The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So my name is Andrea Fella, for those of you who have not met before. I'm the um, co-guiding teacher here at IMC along with Gil. Tonight I'd like to talk about um, the skill of our practice, the skill of meditation. It can be considered a skill much as any other uh, skill. And there are supports for that skill much as there are supports for any skill. And there's a set of qualities that the, the Buddhist teachings highlight that we could call those qualities that support the skill of meditation. And those, five, those qualities are the five faculties. Con- confidence or faith, energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom. In a way we can see how these five qualities are just general qualities that support any skill if we were to think about what, what do we need to do to cultivate the skill of um, playing a piano, for instance? Well, we need to have some understanding or wisdom about the... the well, we need some teachings about, about the, the piano, what the notes are, what the notes represent. We need to learn how to read the music. So there's some wisdom that we have to... or some knowledge that we have to gain. And then there's um, confidence that we can do it that plays into perhaps, perhaps um, that, that the confidence piece might be more um, obvious in, in uh, the skill of an, a- of an athlete, for perhaps. You can see the difference in people. The athletes talk about how the confidence impacts their ability to perform. And so confidence is a piece of a skill. And then there's energy. And in learning a skill, we have to apply energy to practice. We, we, we play the scales. We, 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 we sit down and we, we practice. And so that's energy directed to the, uh, to the skill. And then awareness or mindfulness. We need to be, be present and know what we're doing while we're doing it. And concentration... Is, might be seen in different ways in a skill. It might be seen as a focus, where when we're um, playing a game or doing an athletic um, sport, we may need to really focus. That's a form of concentration. Um, or it might be um, more that we, we also need to just be present. We need to be here, not distracted by a variety of things. That's another form of concentration. The stability of mind to stay in the present moment with a variety of changing experience. And so this is another piece of of cultivating a skill. And as we use our knowledge and apply our confidence and our energy and our awareness and our concentration to the skill, our skill develops and we uh, kind of integrate the understanding so that we don't have to think about it so hard anymore. And this we could maybe call the, the fruition of the knowledge or the fruition of the wisdom in our, in our skill. And so these, these skills come into play in our meditation. And the, the, uh, the purpose of this 
meditation, we have to kind of orient around what is it? What is the wisdom? What is it that we are directing our practice to? And so often these five faculties are are described in the order confidence or faith, energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom, with wisdom coming last. But in some ways I think we have to have some understanding of where we're headed. We have to have something that we have confidence in. And so in some ways I think of wisdom coming first. So the way I'd like to speak about these tonight, I'd like to, to, to speak about each of these five faculties, but not just as the qualities themselves. What I'd like to explore is how these skills, how these come together to support us in our practice. And in particular, the, the exploration I'd like to um, make is how they support us as we work with challenging states of mind. As we enter into our meditation practice, we often notice that we have habits and patterns of particular reactivities that go on in our mind. And learning how to meet those with the skill of our practice is a big part of our practice. And so this is how I wanted to come at these five faculties. They're broader than just working with difficult states of mind. And yet, this is, this is, this is how I'm choosing to explore them. Partly, part of the reason for doing this, talking about these five faculties in this way, is to point to the, um, the fact that these qualities of, these beautiful qualities, they're skillful, wholesome qualities of mind, these five qualities, and to point to the fact that even as we work with something challenging in our, in our practice, for instance, fear, fear is the kind of lens I'm going to explore, working with fear in, in our practice, and as we explore fear in our practice, even as we are bringing our um, practice to fear, these qualities of confidence, energy, mindfulness, concentration, and wisdom are being developed. They're kind of coming, they're not only, we're not only kind of actively cultivating them by using them in support of being with those difficult states, but they are growing as we make that effort. And so there's there's a way that we can in um, exploring difficult states of mind sometimes, be um, kind of stuck almost in the suffering of it. You know, the Buddha did talk a lot about suffering, the first noble truth, uh, the truth of suffering. He encouraged us to understand suffering using the aspects of wise effort, wise mindfulness, and wise concentration to bring to bear on suffering so that we can understand it. But often as we are exploring that in the experience, you know, as we open, you know, the first time I learned about this practice and I read in a book, you know, try opening to your reactive states and knowing they're happening, I, I, I did not get it, you know. It's like, why? Why would I do that, you know? If I'm angry and I turn and pay attention to anger, won't that just make me more angry, Well, it turns out if you're paying attention in a certain way, and this is the wisdom that the the Buddha points to, if you're paying attention to anger in a certain way, it actually doesn't make you more angry. 
It creates space around the anger for you to understand something about it, and it, it can begin to soften and release. And it actually, in my, in my own experience, in the early days of my practice, the early first few weeks of my practice, it w- didn't take me long to understand that when I did turn and look at my anger, it created conditions for it to not be so sticky. And so this is, this is what we see and yet, what, as we turn to these difficult states, it is unpleasant, you know. Anger doesn't feel good. Fear doesn't feel good. This is part of our learning. This is kind of part of the wisdom of, of um, when we actually meet and explore with mindfulness our reactive states, we understand those reactive states hurt. They don't feel good. They're not leading us in the direction of well-being. And so that, that um, turning to meet that and seeing the suffering of it directly in the moment, that's kind of, it can be an aha moment. You know, for me, as I explored my anger, I discovered this, this um, belief that my anger was going to make the other person, the person I was angry at, miserable. And what I discovered this was easier to see because I was in the Peace Corps and the person I was angry with was 7,000 miles away. And it was clear as I opened my attention to my anger that it was doing nothing to that person, but it was eating me up. So as we turn attention to these difficult states, we sometimes do feel the pain of them, the suffering of them. And we can get a little stuck there sometimes. You know, it's like... Ooh, do I want to turn and pay attention to these difficult states? Do I want to pay attention to fear? It's going to be unpleasant. And sometimes we can get a little bit overwhelmed by the, the unpleasantness of the reactivity that we're working with. And, and if we can kind of remind ourselves, recognize there's a bigger container in which we're holding that reactivity, this container of wisdom, of confidence, of mindfulness, of concentration, of energy. We may be able to feel into those qualities and recognize those actually support us, that, they, that those actually have a, a, a feeling of sometimes even joy or delight as we kind of recognize, oh, I'm seeing this. I'm not stuck to it anymore. I'm seeing it. And so there's a way that as we, if we are curious about these qualities, the skills that allow us to meet our experience, we can uh, kind of almost normalize or um, find a way to not be quite so overwhelmed by the the difficulty or the struggle or the unpleasantness of the difficult state itself. So I'd like to start by talking a little bit about wisdom. I've mentioned a little bit about the kinds of wisdom that we bring to bear on our reactive states. With, with fear in particular, it's probably useful to understand something about fear. Again, the, the first noble truth 
uh, the Buddha, that the Buddha taught, that there is suffering, he encouraged us to understand our suffering. And so this is the first thing that we explore with fear, if we're going to be working with fear. Can we understand fear? What is the understanding of fear that's useful for us in our practice? First, it, first it might be useful to, um, to understand that there are different kinds of fear. You know, there's a kind of maybe a primal fear that happens when you're in a life-threatening situation. That's a fear that is, in my experience, the, time, the few times I've been in a situation like that, that kind of fear actually brings me right into the present moment. It's not, it's, it's, it's a very, it's just natural. It's, it's what the mind and body do when they are threatened by a life-threatening situation. So that's not the kind of fear that, um, that I'm talking about this evening. There's another kind of fear that, that comes because we're thinking about what we want or don't want, a kind of a fear about what's going to happen to us in the future. So there's a kind of fear that comes because we're thinking about the past and the future um, based on beliefs, on ideas, on thoughts. This kind of fear is a lot of the fear, or we, we can also look at anxiety and worry, which are flavors of this mind state. Um, you know, the, these kinds of anxieties about what's going to happen are often based on thoughts and not based on something that's actually happening in the present moment. And so it's useful to begin to understand that this fear is not about something that is potentially threatening in this moment, but is about an idea. So understanding um, fear itself might also mean to understand that this fear is a product of conditions. You know, we may... And and here's an example um, of a kind of fear that might arise. Say, in your history, and this shows how, how our history is connected, and so this is an understanding of how causes and conditions affect our uh, our mind states and our, our mental experience. So su- suppose there was um, a time in your life that you were treated very badly by a particular person. You know, that person maybe had a particular height and weight. And, and as you, in your life now, you know, see people at a distance with that kind of body shape or that kind of body type, you may feel a kind of contraction or fear because a person who kind of looked like that, there's an associative nature. Our minds do this kind of an association. There's an associative nature, and the mind remembers that was dangerous in the past, and maybe this is dangerous now. And so there's a, there's a function to that, but this kind of association and um, perception, the, the perception of seeing someone and then the reaction of fear. This kind of thing happens a lot. And it's based on history, it's based on conditioning, it's based on seeing, seeing someone now. And, th- and then you may come a little closer and recognize, oh, it's not that person. But still, there can be, maybe, you know, I, I, think, I think you may recognize this, I've certainly seen this, a kind of a, 
askew on our perception about that person because they look in a similar way to somebody that treated us badly in the past. And we know that that's not, necessar- that's not necessarily rational, and yet it's happening anyway. So this is a kind of thing that we can understand about how our minds work, that there are conditions that come together in a moment that can construct, in a moment, states of mind such as fear. And so the, uh, the wisdom that the Buddha talked about, the understanding of suffering, partly means, well, to understand some of these um, teachings that help us to recognize how these things come about in our mind, how fear comes about in our mind, not the primal kind of fear, but this kind of fear that's based on ideas and thoughts and history and conditioning. And the, um, um, as we um, open to understanding those, uh, those teachings, then the encouragement is to actually start to watch to bring our mindful attention, to bring mindfulness, another one of the faculties, to the experience of of fear. Now this brings in, again, another piece of wisdom uh, in a way that it, it matters how we pay attention to our fear. I sometimes use the language that it's helpful to explore what does it mean to be with Fear. What does it mean to be with a reactive emotion as opposed to being afraid? There's a big difference between those two. In one case, our mindfulness is holding the fear and kind of curious about what is the human experience of fear? What does it mean to be a human being that is experiencing fear? as opposed to being caught by this particular fear, all the ideas, the beliefs, the views, and spinning around the content, spinning around the story, the ideas. As we, as we spin around these stories and ideas of fear, it tends to make us more afraid. If we think about what we're afraid of and we believe that we need to be afraid of it, it tends to amp up the fear. But if we can step back and be curious in this way, and this is a wisdom teaching of the Buddha, can you understand or recognize fear is happening in the present moment? One way to paraphrase what the Buddha taught in his teachings on the four foundations of mindfulness, when fear is arising, one understands that fear is arising. One doesn't, you know, uh, get lost in that fear or act on the fear, or buy into the fear, but one recognizes it and understands it. And so this is, this is a piece of wisdom, this turning towards exploring and understanding it. So if we have some sense of why we might pay attention to fear, then that or we have some understanding or hear something about the teachings of the Buddha that says, hey, you know, there's a way that we might be able to be free from our struggles. This is where I started. Somebody sent me a book um, 
when I was in the Peace Corps and I was really struggling with my reactive emotions around this person. I was really angry. And somebody sent me this book. And I read this book, and as I said, it said, you know, turn your attention to the experience of anger rather than being lost in it. And I didn't understand how it would work. But at the same time, I trusted the person who gave me the book. The person who gave me the book said, hey, this has been really helpful for me. Try it. I didn't understand how it would work, but partly because I'd tried pretty much everything else I could think of and nothing else had worked, I was willing to try. This, in a way, is a flavor of this faculty of confidence. I didn't have the direct confidence in the teachings themselves, but I had confidence in my friend, and I was kind of willing to, to participate in this almost like a scientific experiment. It's like, yep, this book says it's useful. Okay, I'm willing to run the experiment. I'll try and see, does it work? Is it helpful? It was very quick. Very, within a few days that I began to understand, yes, this is helpful. So this is a kind of confidence and as I began, began to understand how it worked and why it was helpful and that it was yielding results, there was more confidence that was created. So this is, when we, when we have an understanding, so the, the wisdom pointing us in a particular direction, that may lead us to want to try to engage. So something, we're confident in something, we're confident in that wisdom, and it leads us to want to engage. So confidence arises, and then that leads us to the engagement, which is the next faculty of energy. Energy in the practice is basically directing our um, minds, directing our attention towards the teachings, basically exploring, applying the teachings in our own lives. What the Buddha taught, the wisdom the Buddha expressed... You know, in many ways, I mean, the the Four Noble Truths could be seen as just kind of statements, you know. There is suffering, there is a cause of suffering, possible to, to see the end of suffering, and there's this path leading to the end of suffering. You might kind of settle back and say, well, okay, that's, I guess I'm just supposed to believe that. Although the path has some actions to it, and so you might explore those actions. But also, every one of those Four Noble Truths the Buddha puts an action to. He says we need to understand suffering. We need to uh, let go of the cause of suffering, the craving. We need to uh, realize, actually, for ourselves, the release from suffering, and we need to develop the path. So this practice, the teachings, the wisdom that the Buddha offered, is not just wisdom to take in and think about. It's, it's wisdom to act on. It's kind of like the difference between reading a manual about how to play a piano and thinking you maybe know something and then trying to sit down and engage with doing it. This practice asks us to engage. No amount of anyone telling you how suffering works, is going to help you, is going to free you from suffering. 
You have to do the work. You have to engage. And so this energy, this directing, the, 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 the willingness to engage is confidence. And then the engagement is the energy. Energy can manifest as just this kind of a gentle, I'm going to keep going, I'm going to keep trying. You know, even in the face of, wow, this is really hard. You know, this is, this is, this is not so easy to be with fear. Even in that, um, if, there's, if there can be a gentle persistence, that's a form of energy. And also, energy is, um, under, is also understood to be connected towards the direction of practice. So in one place, it's described as being energy towards the cultivation of the wholesome. Energy towards the cultivation of basically these qualities of the five faculties and many other beautiful qualities of love, of generosity, of kindness, of, of um, um, patience, of equanimity. So the, the direction is towards the cultivation of the wholesome and the letting go or uh, releasing of the unwholesome. So that's the direction of our energy. And that particular teaching, which is the teaching of wise effort, that we cultivate, uh, we are explore cultivating and maintaining wholesome states and uh, avoiding and letting go of unwholesome states. And sometimes in hearing that, that that is the effort that we make, people get a little confused because fear is described as being a reactivity. It's described as being based in uh, aversion often or uh, resistance. So it's, 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 it's an unwholesome state of mind, this kind of fear that is this reactive state of mind. And so there, there can be a confusion here around what does it mean to um, avoid or let go of fear Aren't I supposed to be trying to, to, to get rid of it? What does it mean? Why, why, what is it? How does being aware and allowing the fear to be present in the container of mindfulness, how does this fit in this understanding of abandoning the unwholesome states? I certainly had this question. And what I, uh, I began to understand for myself as I cultivated mindfulness of these difficult states. So bringing this quality of curiosity of what does it mean to be a human being that's feeling fear? What does it mean to be with fear as opposed to being afraid? That quality of mindfulness, um, basically it, it creates the conditions for us to understand that fear or meet that fear in a bigger container and so that we're no longer buying into the pattern of fear itself. And so as we bring mindfulness to uh, a difficult state of mind such as fear, we, um, we begin to understand that it creates the conditions for it begin to let go of itself. As we open to being with fear, we see 
we're not quite as stuck to it. It's not amping up. And even we may see it diminishing. And so, in a very real way, the practice of mindfulness, which is this next quality, the next faculty, the practice of mindfulness encompasses these four, these four wise efforts. As we bring mindfulness to anything, we are, so as we bring mindfulness to fear, for example, it simultaneously supports the letting go of that fear. It creates a bigger container. It creates the conditions for us not to be uh, winding it up. So it's, it's allowing it to begin to let go. So it's, it's supporting the letting go of the fear. It's also creating the conditions for that fear to appear less in the future. And so in a way, it's creating the conditions that we will naturally be avoiding fear in the future. Because the mind, partly this comes because we begin to understand, as I said earlier, you know, how painful it is to feel these states. That's a kind of an education that our system gets as it meets these reactive states. You know, before we really turn with mindfulness to, to a reactive state, we are buying into the belief that somehow it is serving us. We believe somehow when we're not really recognizing what's going on in the moment, somehow we believe that fear is going to serve us. It will get us something in the future or it will have us avoid something in the future. Often fear is future-based. It's based on some some idea about the future. And so this... um, uh, recognition that essentially we are abandoning um, or we are not engaging in what will what makes us feel better in this moment we are engaging in essentially this quality of fear which is hoping to have us feel better in some future moment and we're we're letting go of the possibility of feeling Uh, some degree of balance here and now. And so as we begin to understand how this dynamic works, when we bring mindfulness to fear, it begins to create the conditions for the mind to let go or, or to not go in the direction of fear in the future because it understands, the mind begins to understand fear is actually not useful. Now, this doesn't mean that we give up thinking about what's going to happen to us and planning for what we need to do. It doesn't mean that. But our minds can begin to understand that certain states of anxiety and worry, for instance, are not actually serving us that well. They fooled us into thinking that they're useful. And so mindfulness creates the conditions for the letting go and the uh, avoiding of these states. And simultaneously, it is encouraging mindfulness and concentration to develop. It is uh, cultivating these wholesome states of balance of mind, of equanimity, 
of maybe some sense of friendliness for our difficult states, a kind of an allowing quality that our hearts can open to these states of mind. And so even as we turn with mindfulness to difficult states, we are cultivating mindfulness and love and uh, compassion and concentration and equanimity. Sometimes we can even feel joy and delight in the being with these difficult states. It's possible. And so that's confidence, energy, mindfulness. Concentration is basically as energy and mindfulness come together. Mindfulness stabilizes and is more, it, it stabilizes in the, in the present moment. It's more, more moments of mindfulness over time. And that's essentially a definition of concentration. Often when we think about concentration or the word concentration evokes for us an idea of focus, focusing on one thing. And that is a form of concentration, that focusing down on just the breath, for instance. Another form of concentration is basically the stability of awareness so that we are not getting stuck or caught in our thoughts. We're staying present. That's another form of concentration. And so as we explore being mindful for a state of mind like fear, as we can begin to hold it with that larger container of I can, I, can, I can be with this experience. Maybe noticing it as it impacts the body. Staying present for the experience, the human experience of fear, rather than getting pulled into the specifics or content of our individual fear itself. And so the mind can be stable in the present moment. It's, it, it's not getting stuck or caught or pulled out into thoughts or past or future getting wound into uh, proliferation so the uh, the concentration around being present for our experience is often this form of um, what we, what's often called moment to moment concentration it's the mind that can stay present over time there are times as we as we um, meet a difficult state like fear, that we will need to, uh, you know, there are definitely times where we can't bring our mindfulness to a difficult state like fear. It, it doesn't feel like we can sit in a bigger container with that mindfulness. It feels like we try to bring our mindfulness to that fear and we are uh, just overwhelmed or swamped by it. And so sometimes we need to learn skills for letting go, uh, not attending directly to that difficult state. And this is where concentration can also be helpful because sometimes we can choose to redirect the attention. If, there is, uh, if we're overwhelmed by fear, we might choose to redirect the attention to some other experience. Maybe just the contact, contact of the body 
or maybe opening the eyes and directing the attention to seeing one thing and then looking at another thing, just really just grounding your attention on seeing. Or potentially, for some, you might be able to use the breath um, or you might be able to turn your attention to hearing. So there, there can be times when using that more focused concentration can be useful for us as we are exploring our difficult states of mind. Learning, I often suggest for people that they have some go-to experience, some, something that they can use reliably for um, if, they're, if you're, they're getting overwhelmed, if you're getting overwhelmed by a difficulty. Often if you're overwhelmed by an emotional difficulty, the breath is actually not the best place to go or to have that be the go-to experience for an overwhelming emotional state because the breath is often involved in an emotional state. And if you turn your attention to the breath when there's a strong emotion, it may simply remind you that that emotion is happening and you'll get caught by it again. So if you discover that that's happening for you, If you're trying to use the breath to ground yourself when there's a strong emotion, you might choose something else. Something outside of this kind of, this central area of the body where emotions tend to be felt. Hands can be good, kind of a grounding of the hands or contact of the hips or just the feeling of the body sitting. Some very simple experience to let the mind focus on that. So using the concentration in that way. And then as we can connect with confidence, energy, mindfulness, and concentration around our experience, we begin to understand for ourselves directly in the moment something, some direct understanding around the fear. It may be as simple initially as a recognizing of the benefit of how the the practice works. Kind of as I discovered when I was exploring anger early on in my practice that within a few weeks I began to realize that the practice was kind of short-circuiting the habitual spiral into the depths of anger because it cut the thought stream. So I experienced the benefit of not being uh, completely pulled into that state all the time. It it created conditions for me to have more space in my life. And so that was the first thing I noticed. The value, just kind of the value of doing this. And then I began to recognize that as right in the middle of paying attention, you know, right in the middle of paying attention to something difficult like fear, when we really kind of connect to that curiosity of what is the human experience of fear, it's a completely different experience than being caught in the middle of fear. It, it does have a feeling of space. There's a, there can be a feeling of interest it doesn't feel so much like it's me that it's about me anymore. It's just, 
wow, this is what's happening. This is interesting. Wow, look how it kind of creates all these sensations in the body. And so there's a, a, this is wisdom that's being recognized in our own experience. We see in a moment, um, as we bring our mindful attention to the fear, it feels like there's space. Maybe it feels like there's curiosity and interest and some balance of mind that's there. That's a manifestation of wisdom that is becoming your own. You might also see um, something about how it's created. You might directly see in the moment that um, fear is arising because you're thinking about something. At one point, um, I was um, at, at, in a situation where uh, there was something that was causing fear, and I began to explore what it was, you know, the, the, the triggers, and there were a lot of thoughts in there that were believed. And there, might have, there was actually some potential reason to believe them, although it turned out they were not true. <laughs> you know, this was a, a situation where I was in an airport and uh, the power went out and it was right after the September 11th attacks and I was convinced that it was a terrorist attack and a lot of fear. And so, you know, I was watching this. I was exploring it. And I saw that when I was embedded in that, those beliefs, the fear was really strong. And then when I could step outside of that and kind of connect to my wish for um, everyone in the world to be safe, which is kind of where that fear was it was connected to that wish for everybody to be safe, but it was this fear that it was not possible. But when I could connect to that deeper wish, there was not fear anymore. But it was still acknowledging the possibility that this might be a dangerous situation. It wasn't like sidestepping that. It wasn't saying, oh, those, those thoughts, they're, they're, just, you know, they're just thoughts, so they're not real. It was acknowledging that this might be a dangerous situation, but feeling into how when the mind is caught by the thoughts, the fear arose. When the mind could connect to something more wholesome, the wish for well-being and happiness for all beings, the fear was not there. The, the, the mind could be more um, responsive to the situation instead of being reactive. This was also, this is also wisdom at work to see what is creating, what is generating the fear. And so we can start to watch these qualities, these faculties at work in our practice. When we can begin to be curious about them themselves, as opposed to only being, it's kind of like sometimes when we're p- paying attention to something like fear, we're, we're just diving into it. It's like we're just paying attention to the fear. And I'm encouraging us to step back and be curious about what else is there. What's the container in which that observing is happening? And so it's time to stop. It's nine o'clock, so thank you for your attention.